and welcome to Warsaw Bursting Perspectives, our continuing series of podcasts to help you understand key issues at the intersection of business and law. Today we will look at what every student needs to know about sexual misconduct on campus with Kimberly Lau, who chairs the College Discipline Practice at the New York-based law firm Warsaw Bursting, where she is also a partner. My name is Tom Merriam. Ms. Lau is truly a pioneer in this field, heading one of the few Title IX-focused practices in the country. She works with both complainants and respondents, including students and faculty, in cases of college discipline. And Kimberly, welcome back to Washer Bursting Perspectives, because on an earlier podcast, we talked about the history and evolution of Title IX. Yes, thank you. Today, I really wanted to start out with an area that isn't really discussed much before students head off to college. You know, usually college uh, students are very excited for their first time being away from home. Um, They also are excited about the prospect of meeting new people and also learning many different topics that even their own high schools didn't cover. Um, Unfortunately, though, there is another area um, of burgeoning concern involving sexual misconduct that all students should be aware of and that, frankly, isn't broken down in the way I'm about to in this segment in your college handbooks. So today I really wanted to provide some tips on how students should navigate sexual misconduct on campus no matter what gender you are or whether you're a complainant or a respondent. And students and of course parents as well. That's correct. And so I first wanted to start out with, you know, You get the student handbook in the beginning of your college career as a freshman, and the tendency um, is to really just throw that handbook out um, in the back of the closet. It's usually no less than 100 pages or so and contains a lot of um, dense material. I would just say that you need to really take a look at the student handbooks and understand um, how sexual misconduct is handled by your college campus systems, you should familiarize yourself with the policies and your rights because at some point, frankly, sex happens on campus. So you may be involved in an encounter that didn't go your way or you may be involved in an encounter where someone says it didn't go their way and is accusing you of sexual misconduct. So no matter what side of the coin you're on, you're going to want to understand right from the jump, how does your college handle this type of um, case? And this goes beyond just he said, she said. That's correct. I think one of the things you're noticing with the younger generations and the incoming freshman classes these days is your everyday life is documented in text messaging, social media posts, and So you're going to have a lot of this. Your life is going to be out there. And I want you to know that as a student, you should make sure to preserve that evidence. You should not, first of all, you should probably not even be writing all about your everyday life. But if you are, you should preserve that because you don't know whether that might be important for you to look back to if you're in a case involving sexual misconduct allegations. And it's important to know, too, that what happens here can have lifelong consequences. Absolutely. If you're a complainant on this side of the spectrum, then you you may be involved in a lot of severe trauma 
or damages that can last for your college career. Likewise, if you are an accused student and you feel that the allegations were not properly levied against you, and that's going to have consequences that are going to create lifelong impacts as well. And I think you should understand that it can even affect what's on your transcript. It can also affect what is in your discipline records that's going to be disclosed if you ever intend to go to graduate school, law school, or medical school. Certain job industries, government positions require background checks. And sometimes these types of allegations, if they end up with a finding on your record, can be discoverable. Which leads us to drinking and drugs. Pushing aside the legalities of those in college, the impact of those can be even worse in terms of uh, your discipline. Absolutely. Sometimes in cases where there are illicit drugs involved, you could also be facing a criminal charge and a criminal case may be pending simultaneous with your campus discipline proceeding. Um, Even in cases involving sexual misconduct, sometimes a complainant will also report this to the police authorities and you may be facing both a criminal case as well as your campus discipline proceeding. It's a very stressful and emotional time no matter where you are in the process and on which side you're on, but certainly there is a lot at stake if you are being accused of something like this. Of course, a lot of students go to college and say, this is not going to happen to me, but it does. I think that's a myth and a fallacy to think that, you know, every student, um, you know, that this is not me, Um, it's you know, or my child will never be involved in something like this, my child's a good kid, this will never happen, or I'm going to be a responsible student, don't worry, I, I'm never going to be in that situation. It's a myth because inevitably we're dealing with different people on college campuses than you may have even grown up around, people from all over the country, people who grew up in different households than you, and people you might have just met for the very first time, and only one time, and you don't yet know what this person's all about. So it's hard to really sit there and, and say, yeah, I think I'm going to be immune to this, because cases have happened. I mean, I've seen it. I've, I've handled over 100 of these cases across the country, and I still get phone calls every week. And, of course, men and women look at situations differently in many ways, but this is one in particular. That's right. I think female students, um, you know, they tend to to look at sexual misconduct or sexual encounters, rather, as, you know, a very different kind of connection with somebody. And, um, you know, there's... There's inherently differences in the way the genders are looking at the sexual encounters as far as what counts as a yes or an affirmative consent. And depending on the state you're in, here we're located in New York City, you know, New York has an affirmative consent law. So does California. And affirmative consent really requires very clear unequivocal words or actions that rise to the level of consent. 
you need to make sure that you're able to um, enunciate that and actually describe that if you're ever being asked by a college discipline tribunal, how did you get that consent? And so usually what, especially in New York, what these colleges are asking is really you should be looking for a yes. A verbal yes is is really the, the key to not having a misunderstanding. Um, but oftentimes, you know, students are not trained to really ask for verbal yeses. A reminder that you're listening to Washoe Bursting Perspectives, the podcast of the New York-based law firm Washoe Bursting. Today we're talking about what every student needs to know about sexual misconduct on campus with Kimberly Lau, who chairs the college discipline practice at Washoe Bursting. And Kimberly, we started talking about men and women seeing things differently. Why don't we get into what young men need to know, and then later on we'll talk about what young women need to know. For the young men out there, I would just say don't assume that your sexual partner is sober enough to consent to sexual activity with you, especially not if this is someone that you've been involved with for the very first time. Um, You always want to make sure that if any drinking was involved by you or her or in a same-sex situation by him and him, her and her, you really don't want to chance it. It's probably better to wake up the next day, exchange numbers, wake up the next day, and have, you know, a real interaction then when you're both sober. It's just too hard to determine people's levels of intoxication. I would also say another tip would be, you know, if you are going to engage in sexual activity, make sure you ask at every step of the way for consent. Verbal consent is best, but you really got to make sure if it's just actions that are providing you with that consent, are they clear actions? You want to think about that as you're in the moment. And I mean from every step, including the first kiss to disrobing to the actual sexual intercourse. You got to make sure at every step, because if you are accused of something like this, you're going to be asked by a discipline tribunal how did you get that consent at every step? And you also need to know your rights, particularly as it pertains to the schools, and schools can differ on that too. That's right, and that goes back to what I said in the beginning of this program. You really want to make sure that you're reviewing the student handbooks and the policies specifically that relate to sexual misconduct, Title IX, and how your school handles it. Every school is different. There's no consensus on how the schools um, deal with Title IX allegations. Some schools don't provide hearings while others do. Some don't allow you to cross-examine. Some do it in a different fashion by allowing you to provide questions to an investigator or a tribunal chairperson. They all do it differently, so you really got to familiarize yourself right at the beginning. Reminder again, you're listening to Washoe Bursting Perspectives, the podcast of the mid-sized New York law firm Washoe Bursting. And today we're talking with Kimberly Lau, who chairs the college discipline practice at Washoe Bursting and really one of the pioneers of Title IX as a practice area in law. And our subject matter is what every student needs to know about sexual misconduct on campus. And a few moments ago you talked about what young men need to know, so let's turn to the other side. What do young women need to know and how does that differ from what you were saying about young men? 
So I would say that if you're a female student who had just been assaulted sexually, then my first tip would be to really report this to the police. Get the local authorities involved or at least get a rape kit done. If there had been drinking involved, it's a good idea to get a blood alcohol um, content calculation involved. You know, you really want to get that stuff done while things are fresh. And the reason is it will only help to avoid what may inevitably become a he said, she said situation. Another tip I would add is, you know, sexual assault can happen in both ways. It can happen to men. It can happen to women. It can happen in same-sex couples. So, you know, just be careful that you're also getting consent every step of the way. So it's the same advice that I give to all of my student clients, to I would give to every, every student out there, no matter what your gender, because the rules are the rules. You've got to get consent, and from the very first kiss to the actual um, point of intercourse. I would also say that you also want to make sure that you're telling your school, and this is familiarizing yourself with the policies as well. You want to know what your rights are. You want to also tell the school that you are aware of what your rights are, and if you're accusing someone of sexual misconduct and you're a complainant, you want to make sure that your school is respecting you and protecting your rights and providing you with the resources you need so that you can navigate this process as well. You certainly want to understand who can control the process. That's right. Sometimes schools do not need your consent once you've reported your complaint. And I think that's key. Complainants think that they do have all the control over the process that they can just, you know, decide midstream maybe they don't want to continue. And that's not the case. Schools can determine on their own whether they need to legally continue without you. So you just, you know, you want to take a step back and think about, you know, whether this process is for you, because sometimes knowing that is also not something that a complainant wants either. Sometimes a complainant wants to be in control and be able to say when I want to stop. So you should be aware of that, that the school can still continue without your consent. Let's summarize now for people who are either about to enter college, even those who are in there, whether it's the students or their families, just tell us exactly what they should be thinking about as they start to enter the academic process. I think the key is there's two takeaways. You really want consult your handbooks for the colleges and universities. You want to be familiarized with the rules as well as the process of what you are expected to participate in and follow. You also want to be aware of your rights and you want to make sure that you tell the colleges, I know my rights and please honor them. The second takeaway is get consent at every step of the, the way. I think, you know, um, people take for granted what consent means. You know, students um, are not necessarily socialized to 
to know what that looks like, especially if you're in a situation and in a world where you are now held to an affirmative consent standard, which is very different than what you might see on TV. Um, so you've got to get that consent at every step. Otherwise, you will have a difficult time um, either showing that this didn't occur if you're in a complainant situation or that you know, you're not guilty of sexual misconduct if you're in an accused perspective. Kimberly Lau, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and insights about what students and, for that matter, parents need to know about sexual misconduct on campus. And Kimberly, how can our listeners reach out to you if they want to learn more directly? Please feel free to contact me at www.collegedisciplinelaw.com. You can also email me at klau at wbny.com. And please go to WBNY.com for other Warshaw Burstein Perspectives podcasts and for more information about the Warshaw Burstein Law Firm. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Merriam.